For those of you who've been here over the last couple of weeks, uh, you probably remember we've been looking at some of the ways Jesus defined the good life. Uh, these are each uh, really short sayings that are some combination of counterintuitive and profound, simple things that Jesus says about life, but with really big implications. So this morning, uh, no surprise, as you can all read in your bulletin, um, we are looking at Jesus' statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And before we get into this, um, I wanted to reflect for a minute on the phrase poor in spirit. And to be honest, one of my first reactions to the phrase poor in spirit is kind of like, uh, like who, who cares? Or like, what is this? Like, why? Why are we talking about this, right? Given everything I think that's going on in our country and our world right now, I don't feel like I have a lot of time or energy to be spending trying to figure out if I'm poor in spirit or rich in spirit or what that means. There's just all this other things, all these other things to really focus on. And even worse, actually, in, in my opinion and in my experience, it seems that sometimes, uh, sometimes in trying to follow Jesus or trying to be Christian people, you, we, can get so, or, uh, we can get so focused on the spirit that we miss everything that Jesus says about material poverty. And so Jesus does, in fact, say elsewhere uh, in Luke, blessed are the poor. And it seems to me sometimes it's, it's far too convenient for those of us that are materially rich to pretend that spiritually poor and poor are somehow the same thing. And that, that allows us in some way to focus our efforts on an abstract spiritual sense of being humble and thus avoid that everything that Jesus says about the material poor and therefore everything that he says about the material rich. If you didn't follow all of that, I recognize that was somewhat complicated. But all of which is to say, as I look at what's going on in the world uh, in the last few weeks, I'm really drawn to what Jesus says about the poor and therefore the rich, and I haven't found myself thinking a lot or having a lot of energy to think about the spiritually poor or being spiritually rich. So before we can talk about Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, I just want to acknowledge that Jesus also says, blessed are the poor. Jesus does not say, blessed are the rich. And we won't be talking about any of those things this morning. That in some way to me would seem a lot more relevant um, and a lot more timely. But I think there's actually a really significant, uh, really, a, re- a real need on our part to encounter things that Jesus says that don't seem relevant or timely and to push into it and try to see what does Jesus have to say to us today through this. Um, and particularly as a way to maybe keep ourselves out of our bubble and being a little bit more kind of well-rounded or at least established across the different things that we need to think about. So, so today we're going to look at blessed are the poor in spirit. Why should we care whether we are poor or rich or in between or middle class in spirit? The reason that I think spiritual depth or spiritual riches are important for us at this time is because if we really want to make a difference in the world, in our communities or in our country, against all the issues that I know many of us feel like we can't take our eyes off of the past few weeks, then I think we have to have spiritual depth to sustain us. This idea obviously isn't mine. Many of you heard it from many other places. I think I I, uh, have encountered this idea a lot in some time that I spent with folks in the Catholic worker movement or uh, reading other uh, stories and theologies and the experience of folks who have followed Jesus in uh, liberation theology or other historic settings, time spent living in community and, and talking with all of you and the ways that you think about your spirituality and how it impacts the kinds of things that you get involved in and how you stay in the things that you want to invest in in the world. So this is not a new idea, um, but I want to frame what we're going into this day because there's a lot of things happening in our world right now. I, I see and hear a lot of fear, a lot of policies that are built off of fear about certain kinds of people or people from certain backgrounds. And I think if we want to productively 
uh, suggest alternatives or demonstrate alternatives to a society that is built on fear and control of people who may not look like us, that is going to be long and hard work. And if that's going to be long and hard work, how do we as individual people sustain that work without becoming bitter or cynical or exhausted or even just fearful ourselves? A few weeks ago, as um, I know many folks were, I was at a march here in Philly, um, and there were, one of the things that really struck me about the experience was the intergenerationality of people at the march. The folks from, there were infants with signs all the way to people who were at least a generation past me with signs. And uh, some of the, one of my favorite signs that really struck me was a woman who I would assume was a generation older than me who had a sign that said, I can't believe I'm still protesting this. And I would like to think that we will see incredible change in our lifetimes, or maybe like in the next few years or the next few months. But I think we also need to recognize that even if our world takes some incredible steps forward and amazing things happen, we will just, by the very nature of having taken three steps forward, we will see another three steps that we need to take. There, there isn't and there, and there shouldn't be an end, right? There, the things that are important to us are things that we need to be prepared to push against and to work for and to sacrifice for for a long time because they are that significant and that complicated. So how do we stay engaged in those things and keep from checking out, avoid cynicism, avoid fear, avoid becoming the thing that in some sense we are trying to say we don't want to be, right? Spirituality. We need deep personal spiritual riches and broad social justice. Both of those things, I think we need, we need to keep those things as flip sides of the same coin as opposed to tensions that you have to pick between. They're both self-reinforcing and they're crucial for each other. So when we read Blessed are the Poor in Spirit this morning, I want us to think, how does this teaching of Jesus help me be spiritually stronger so that I can serve others better? So today, to do that, we're going to look at a story where Jesus interacts with someone who has had, up to this point, very minimal spiritual experience, but he becomes a very significant spiritual leader. How does Jesus engage with people like him who really lack spiritual experience or who really lack spiritual riches? How do we, when we're in that place, receive the blessing that Jesus promises so that we can build spiritual riches, so that we can in turn serve others better? So we'll be looking at Luke 5, uh, the first 11 verses. It's printed in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen behind me. I'll read it for us. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked Simon to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So how does Jesus go about engaging a normal guy, a fisherman, who happens to be nearby, who doesn't have a lot of spiritual experience or expertise? First, 
Jesus is looking for a boat. So in order to gain deep spiritual depth, you must first have a boat. Mostly kidding, but want to be sure you're paying attention. I think this is actually really notable. Uh, The beginning of the interaction with Simon about Jesus is something really practical, something very tangible, and something very not spiritual. Jesus needs a boat. Simon has a boat. Simon shares the boat. They start this interaction from there. So to enter first, look for everyday, spiritually connected opportunities, but perhaps things that are very practical. Jesus does not first check to see if Simon is comfortable praying out loud in front of a large crowd of people. He doesn't ask Simon if he can lead music on key and sound good. He doesn't ask Simon about his past experience with miraculous healings. Jesus doesn't ask for anything spiritual at all. He just says, you have a boat, can I use it? And in providing his boat, Simon is suddenly, and perhaps, um, I mean, he must have known this was going to happen, but it's not like this is what he was looking for. He ends up in the ver- like at the very front row of a deeply spiritual experience. So if we want to be at the center of a spiritual community, if we want to have the opportunity to be refreshed, refilled spiritually, to grow in our spiritual depth, what we might want to consider first is how we can share very tactile, practical, and non-spiritual things. So this could mean sharing something tangible that you have that other people could use, like inviting a small group to meet in your house. This could mean engaging with this community on a Sunday morning by helping in ways that don't have deep spiritual expectations, like making coffee or running the projection or doing sound. And as you've seen, all of these things require very particular skills. In fact, I, would be, uh, I feel that I should admit to you that I would be completely unqualified to make coffee for you. every morning. The, there's once in my life that I made coffee for a meeting, and the people who came poured the coffee out and made their own because it was just undrinkable. I'm not a coffee drinker, and, and it requires some skill. To, so not that these things don't require skill, um, but they're different than something that might feel intimidating by its spiritual depth. And so picking some of these things to get involved through a tangible thing that you have skills to do is a great way to get to the center of a spiritual community by helping out in some practical way that feels comfortable. There's something about helping, something about sharing that automatically moves you closer to the center of a community and connects you to people more deeply. You get to observe and be a part of things in a new way. So Simon starts out very practically, sitting in his boat, listening to Jesus. What's next? The second phase I would put on this is engage. Jesus pushes the envelope here, not Simon. And I think that's important and should feel encouraging to us. We don't need to put ourselves out there to push, to prove ourselves. Jesus starts out and enters this conversation with a actually really ridiculous idea. Hello, fisherman expert Simon. Everyone fishes at night. You have been fishing all night. Your last night was a disaster. You were tired. You caught nothing. You were up all night. You've just finished cleaning up. You loaned me your boat generously this morning, so why not just try again and fish in the middle of the day in front of all these people who already know that you failed once? So I think Simon's response here is actually really warranted, a very fair response. I think it actually sounds a lot like an email you might write to your boss saying, I think this is a really bad idea, but since you told me to do this, dot, 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 so that when it goes horribly wrong and turns out to be a really bad idea, you can prove that it wasn't your idea and it's therefore not your fault. So Simon responds in that sense with skepticism. And Jesus seems to not mind at all. I think that's really worth catching. From Jesus' perspective, skepticism is okay. So let's sit on that for a moment. Because I think we've all heard somewhere or picked up maybe this generalization that you aren't supposed to question God. That faith is a magical belief that never wavers and never asks hard questions. Or maybe we felt some reason, some some fear that if we, we would be judged in a certain way if we asked a question in a religious setting. We would offend someone or threaten someone. 
Is Jesus offended or threatened? Does he judge Simon? Does anyone else say anything at all? Not that, not that we hear about. So I want to point out two characteristics of Simon's skepticism that I think make his skepticism productive. Um, more than it's, it's different, he's not complaining. It's, he's not complaining, it's not cynicism, it's not avoidance. It's really active skepticism. First, he aims his skeptical question directly at Jesus. And I would argue that if you have questions about faith or skeptical challenges, you should take them straight to the source. You, should, you see a, a great example here of challenging Jesus to his face, which I think makes skepticism a lot more productive than asking a bunch of questions and murmurs behind someone's back, or in this case, behind Jesus' back. Second, Simon's question here is really authentic. He actually, he, he actually thinks this is a bad idea. Um, he really feels this way for good reason. Jesus seems to love an honest question, a deeply felt challenge. And I think this separates Simon <coughs> from the temptation to use questions as a smokescreen to keep Jesus or something else at, sm- at arm's length. He's not trying to avoid what Jesus is suggesting. He's taking, the question, the, he's taking what Jesus directly offered, and he's turning it back directly to Jesus because he actually thinks this is potentially a really dumb idea. So with his skepticism expressed, Simon goes ahead and takes the practical risk. And that would be the second piece that I would add under engage. Take a practical risk. Again, I think we have to note here that the risk Simon is taking is not spiritual in any way. Jesus, has, Jesus didn't say your next step is to try the risk of a small miracle over here that no one else will observe. Go heal this person. Or why don't you next time try doing the teaching from the boat? Now that you've heard me say it, you can just repeat it all. Jesus tells Simon to do a very practical thing that Simon, in theory, knows how to do really well. He tells him to go fishing. And then, of course, Jesus provides this this, uh, spiritual zing, this miraculous catch, and everyone is amazed, except for Simon, right? So I think we, we read over Simon's reaction and don't realize how bizarre his reaction is. His reaction is really kind of peculiar. So Simon should be amazed like everyone else. That would be normal. He, maybe he should be grateful, like, like he drew the card in Monopoly that he got an unexpected windfall and huge business success, and he now gets to go sell all these fish, right? But he isn't grateful. He could be joyful. Yay, we, we can all just go home and sleep tonight. Last night we caught nothing. We were up all night. Tonight we can take the night off, go home and sleep. Congratulations, business partners. This is wonderful. He should be, maybe, maybe he should be relieved. Yay, I didn't get made a fool in front of all these people who are still watching. None of those things. He doesn't express any of those potentially normal things. Instead, he responds with something between shame and honesty. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He recognizes his spiritual lack, where, he, where he's at spiritually, and he recognizes it honestly, brutally honest, in fact, uncomfortably so. It do, of course, so there's some spiritual undercurrents here, some sort of trust, something in his willingness to take the risk and go and put down the nets as Jesus instructed him. But his response, I think, really interprets for us what he's thinking. And it's not, wow, I had this, you know, this tiny grain of faith and look what happened. It's more like, wow, I have no faith at all and I am so struck by this that I just blurted it out in front of everyone. So I want to think about what that actually looks like practically. Recognizing, being open about, um, being open about being not good at something, I think is actually really hard. It's something we often try to avoid. So here's an example. When I was a junior in college, I was asked to be on the leadership team of the Campus Christian Fellowship. And a couple of months in, our leadership team was learning about listening prayer, which is the style of prayer that you actually hear the prayer team talk about every morning. They come up, they share a few things that they've listened and heard that God might be doing and and offer you the chance to be a part of it. When I was a junior in college, I had never heard of it before. 
And it made me actually really anxious because I could tell from the start that I was not going to be good at it. That's just not the way that my brain works. And so our team sat and quietly sought God's guidance and listened uh, about some important something that we were praying about. And I started to feel more and more like I was just going to have to kind of like fake it and sort of go along with the group and just kind of knock rock the boat. So here I am in leadership in a spiritual community, turning out to be a total novice at a very, suddenly very crucial and very critical spiritual skill. And I don't like being bad at things, and I think most of us probably don't like being bad at things, and especially you don't like being bad at things when you're expected to be a leader in a particular community. If you're, if you're on the cross-country team, uh, when, so when I was in high school, I was on the cross-country team. We had five team captains that were elected senior year, and four of those five team captains were the fastest four seniors on the team, and the fifth had this like, really cool personal story about being a leader, right? That's what leadership in a community usually is. Like Either you're, 80% of the leaders are like the best at whatever the community's about, and then there's someone else who has a great personal story. So I think that puts a lot of pressure on us. <laughs> Just a vast generalization. Puts a lot of pressure on us when we're thinking about spiritual things. Um, or in other, in other places in our lives where you want to hide things you're not good at because if, you, if other people knew how not good you were, they wouldn't want to respect you or follow your influence as a leader or, or you would just feel bad, like you were just a bad leader because of this. So I just kind of like put the best face I could on this whole thing and hoped that no one would ever ask about it. No one really did and, and probably no one really cared. Um, let's contrast that though to Simon, who is so open with his spiritual lack. He seems to be completely free to express this authentic realization that he's just had in this critical moment, no matter how many people are listening. I mean, Jesus got the boat in the first place so that they could sit in the water and everyone else could very easily hear them. And here is Simon blurting this out in the exact same position so that everyone else can very easily hear him. He's just totally comfortable. No hiding necessary. Why? Well, perhaps because Simon has been engaged and affirmed by Jesus— And through that process, he hasn't been asked to do anything to demonstrate any sort of spiritual strength. Jesus isn't interested in calling him out or sizing him up. Jesus isn't evaluating his spiritual skill or his spiritual depth or how good he is at spiritual things. Now, of course, Jesus is is interested in spiritual skill and spiritual depth and and becoming stronger spiritually. But but it just doesn't seem like Jesus Jesus is is not interested in that in in an evaluative sense. He's interested in that. He just seems to understand that the path to spiritual depth isn't linear or obvious. A spiritual death grows out of all of the things that Simon does, not just the practice of p- particular spiritual activities. And all of this frees Simon up to just be, to be himself in a brutally honest and entirely uncomfortable way. This is actually one of the things that I love about the, com- the way that we've described the values of our community here. We understand ourselves as a group of people who are all in process, in development, to be, that we're all growing and changing, and we're very intentional as a community about not having in and out lines. You have to believe this or you have to be able to do this in order to be a part of the group. Because of that, um, we can be really clear that we're, we're all in progress going in a particular direction. And I think that opens up for us the opportunity to be honest, not just about the things that we believe or don't believe, but about the things that we're good at or bad at. Because you don't have to be good in a certain way in order to be in in this community. You can be in process. And I think we hear a lot of that um, and we've heard a lot of that in past weeks, uh, folks have shared, and every time folks share, I think we hear a lot of that. It's something I really appreciate about this community. I think, though, we could probably apply that farther um, and recognize that there isn't any sort of spiritual strength or richness that we need to demonstrate to be in or to belong. And therefore, we can be honest about when it's hard to connect with God or when it's hard to make time to think about God, just as Simon is honest about his spiritual lack. 
This is refreshing, but I think it's also really challenging. Like, we have to actually be intentional and work about being open in this way, because I think in, a, in the culture that we live in, it, uh, it takes intentionality to be open about our weaknesses. So here's what it might look like. I mentioned already uh, that when I was in college, I had a challenging introduction to the idea of listening prayer. In the time since then, I've spent lots of time practicing that type of spirituality. I have a, a lot of opportunity to, to try it out, to figure out how I encounter Jesus in that way. And I found some, I've, I found some ways that I, some parts of that type of prayer that I really enjoy and really connect with and really resonate with and I'm grateful to be a part of. And that's almost always when there's something specific to listen to God about. And I find um, that God really speaks to me in those places. But when, it, when there's not a concrete starting point, in the same place that I was as a junior in college, when there's not a concrete starting point and it's just like sit down and listen to God and see if God says anything at all, um, I find my brain to fill with all kinds of random other things, but to rarely hear anything besides like the to-do list that I need to do for the rest of the day or you know, something like that, right? Um, prayer, so, so I say that to say when, uh, as Brad mentioned, I'm a member of prayer team here. And I, one of the things I love about prayer team is when people have particular things that they're seeking, what is God, where is God in this? What does God say about this? And I find it so joyful to be a part of that. On the other hand, when we meet before the service and we pray very openly about what is God doing today, I really struggle to have um, anything clear to add at all. So, what, what you, so if, if I was operating in normal, kind of put your best pace forward, hide your spiritual lack mode, I would come up to say what prayer team uh, prayed about this morning and what we have to share with you, and I would just r- rattle off a couple of things, and it would be normal. If, on the other hand, I was following the example of Simon here and being just brutally honest and open, I would probably do something more like, well, we were praying this morning, and honestly, I have absolutely nothing to share. But luckily for all of you, Kenny was there, or Emily was there, or whoever, Renee was there, and they have this to add. And I say that because I think it's just so convenient for us to kind of leave out those details. Right, and so we just we, we put the the kind of the, and you don't ever really need to know those things. It hasn't harmed you at all to not know those things, right? But it's just so much easier to leave them out and not have to think about them. And so I think the challenge from Simon's experience here is to be honest and open about those things. So enter by sharing your boat or whatever your practical resource is. Engage by being honest, being skeptical, taking a risk, and then third, empower. Just as Jesus pushes the envelope to challenge Simon to engage, Jesus again pushes the envelope to empower him. Jesus is often confronted by people who say something about wanting their sins to be forgiven. So Simon's request here, there, I don't know how many, but there are many other times that Jesus faces this request. And Jesus often responds in a way that would seem normal, like your sins are forgiven, right? You ask for your sins to be forgiven, your sins are now forgiven. Or go do this, your sins have been forgiven. Not so much here. Jesus does not actually respond directly to Simon's very honest admission of his spiritual act in any way. It, it just seems like it's not, in some way, it's not relevant to what Jesus needs to know, or, what's, or potentially in Jesus' mind, it's not even relevant to what Simon needs to know about where Jesus wants Simon to go. So Jesus instead says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. This catching people thing uh, seems to be way bigger, and in some ways way vaguer, then his, his, Jesus' earlier statement was, go let down your nets. Very concrete. Like, you're going you're gonna to take your boat from here, you're going to go over there, you're going to take the nets, and you're going to put them down in the water, right? Like, it's a physical action. You know what it means. You go fishing every day. Going and catching people seems like a much vaguer, like, I don't actually, I mean, like, I think we know what that means because we've thought about it now, but, but it's, like a, it's not as concrete. It's much more of a metaphor. And yet Simon 
Simon seems to very deeply understand it. It really, it makes sense to Simon because he responds quickly and leaves everything to follow Jesus. So here's the key turning point. Simon has now been invited to be one of Jesus's most central followers. He's taken this, this incredible turn from the guy with the boat to, this, to being a part of the inner circle of this deep spiritual community. Very quickly. So what does Jesus think that Simon needs to sustain him in this kind of quick turn and becoming deeper spiritually? First, Simon needs to be encouraged to be fearless. Do not be afraid. Second, Simon needs a vision of his life that Simon can relate to. You will be catching people. So I want to pause and dwell on those things for a moment. It's those two things, maybe those two things are just exactly what Simon needs. And others of us need other things at different times. And I I think that would make sense. But I think perhaps those two things that Simon needs could be helpful to a lot of us a lot of the time. Um, And so I want to dig into them a little bit deeper. How many of us, when we really want to make a difference, find ourselves stuck? Either we're stuck in fear or anxiety, or we're stuck because we just aren't sure what to go and do. We're second-guessing ourselves. We're doubting, so, so maybe we're doubting our own skills. We're doubting the idea we had, this great idea we had to make a difference. We're doubting our ability. Maybe we don't feel like we have the connections to do what we want to see happen. Or we're stuck really wanting to change something, but it just seems really complicated, and we don't even know where to get started or who to try to become. How often do we feel an abundance of fear or doubt or anxiety and a lack of vision? So I want to do a little thought experiment here about uh, how Simon's story can maybe be helpful to us when we're stuck in moments like that. So I want want you to take a second and try to pinpoint a moment where you felt like you lacked either fearlessness, so you had lots of fear, or you lacked vision and you were stuck because of one of those things. It's probably not too hard to think about a situation like that. If you can't think of any situations like that in your whole life, you can just tune out for the next couple minutes and you'll be fine. Um, But you can probably think of something. So as you think about that particular situation, let me give you a couple of questions that we can reflect on that I think come from Simon's experience. First, is there some small way that you can get started by sharing something practical and tangible? What's the boat and who needs it? Where do you need to just try something and hope for a miracle, like fishing in the middle of the day? Second, is there some skepticism, some doubt that you need to articulate? Do I need to be honest about my questions or my spiritual lack in some way? Can I stop with a persona and just be a person? To whom and where can I speak these things out loud and be my own self? Or third, where do you need to hear the voice of Jesus? Where do you need to hear, do not be afraid, or you will be, whatever the vision is. How do you hear the voice of Jesus? How can you blurt out what you need and just see how Jesus responds? So obviously this isn't like a time-tested 12-step process to having the kind of impact that Simon does. Um, So it's quite possible that those aren't the right questions for you. But these seem to be some of the key questions and the key moments that come up to Simon. And so I'll I'll, um, reframe them one more time, um, and, and maybe they'll be helpful to us as we try to enter and engage and be empowered. Is there some small way that we can get started by sharing something practical and tangible? What's the boat and who needs it? Where do we need to just try something and hope for a miracle? Like fishing in the middle of the day and just see what happens. 
That's first. Something tangible and practical. Take a risk. Second, is there some skepticism, some doubt that we need to articulate? Do we need to be honest about our questions? Can I, is there some, where can I speak about my spiritual lack and be my true self? And then third, where do we need, what, about what do we need to hear the voice of Jesus? Where do we need to just blurt out what we're thinking and just see what Jesus does with it? I chose the story of Simon today because I think it's a great illustration of Jesus living out this value of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Simon starts out very poor in spirit. He has no spiritual experience, um, and yet he ends up in the heart of this community. So we talked a little bit as I thought about why this was important to us about poor in spirit. I do, as we close, want to quickly reflect on the other portions of Jesus saying here. Blessed are. I read a book once that really, for me, really helpfully rephrased this as cheers to you when. And that was helpful to me because I don't think it always means that we need to try to be spiritually poor. I think it means more, we're going to find plenty of opportunity where we're already spiritually poor. Those times will come. We don't need to go try to make them for ourselves. Jesus has encouragement for us in those times. Not judgment, not frustration, encouragement. Cheers. When you find yourself spiritually poor, cheers to you. Jesus will make something good of it. So that's the first part. Blessed are, cheers to you. Blessed are you when you lack spiritual riches, I think is how I think of that second part. What does it mean to be spiritual poor, to lack spiritually rich, spiritual riches? And then finally, what's the promise here? Jesus says, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus uses that phrase kingdom of heaven a lot um, to refer to the group of people who follow God's way. We obviously, we don't live in a kingdom, um, and we don't necessarily think about that a lot. So I just want to perhaps rephrase that. Cheers to you when you lack spiritual riches, for you are right in the middle of God's community. This is exactly what we see in Simon. He thoroughly lacks spiritual riches. And yet he ends up being offered a fearless vision as a leader right in the middle of Jesus' work. That's what it means to be blessed. Blessed is Simon. In his lack of spiritual skill, Jesus provides fearlessness and vision. And Simon does great things. Blessed also are each of us when we lack, when we feel that we don't measure up, when we don't have the qualifications, the right skills, uh, maybe we don't have the right job or we don't listen to the right music. Blessed are we, for Jesus is not out to size us up, but to invite us in. When we feel stuck putting up a persona and feeling the need to hide our struggles, blessed, says Jesus, blessed are we, for Jesus already knows our true selves, and Jesus invites us into the community anyway. When we lack spiritual depth and can do nothing but blurt out what a mess we are, when we are filled with skeptical questions and doubts, blessed are we, for Jesus loves an honest challenge, and he invites us in anyway. When we're stuck in fear or anxiety, when we want to get involved in something, but we just, we just don't have the strength to do it or the confidence to do it, Blessed are we, because Jesus says, do not fear, and he invites us in anyway. When we're stuck because we just can't find the way out of the maze that we're in, we want to make a difference, but we lack the spiritual vision of ourselves to know how to do it or how to get started. Blessed are we, for Jesus has a vision, and he invites us into it. Blessed. Blessed are you when you are spiritually lacking. For you, for yours, is the privilege of being a part of Jesus' work 
and his community. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for ours is the kingdom of heaven. I'll close, um, I'll close with a prayer for us as we consider those things and as, as Brad and the band come forward for the rest of our service. Jesus, we, we bring to you our spiritual lack and we bring to you the many, many people in our community and around our world that we wish to serve better. We, we come before you this morning in the face of your promise that we are blessed when we lack because you will provide fearlessness and a vision and you will provide spiritual depth for us. Jesus, we seek to see your kingdom of heaven. We want to be a part of it. And so, Jesus, we just return to you your promise that we will be blessed when we recognize how we are poor in spirit and we can be a part of your kingdom of heaven. Jesus, would you help us to be blessed this week in our spiritual lack? Would you help us in our fear when we're stuck and we lack vision? Would you be present? Would you allow us to blurt out in the way that Simon blurts out? Would you allow us to share what we have practically? Would you allow us to hear your voice, to know the vision that you have for us? Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. Uh, Jim mentioned...